is found Second Corinthians chapter four. <clears throat> I'm pulling out the sixth verse as a text, but really the entirety of this chapter is going to bring forth the point that I believe the Lord has for us here this morning. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, we believe that we know that you're here this morning. It's not even belief. We just know you've settled down in here in such a sweet manner. Lord, we want we've made ourselves available and you've not failed us. We thank you. Thank you for answering our brother's prayer just within five minutes, like he said. I believe you're answering other prayers that though we can't see the other end of it, I believe you're answering now because you draw near to your people when we cry out to you. And we're very thankful for it. We're asking though, Lord, in addition to what that is, what's taking place here, we pray that you would just take the lid off. Every one of us somehow just, if there's any way that we're limiting the spirit of God, then we're asking that you would just help just remove it out of the way so that your spirit can speak to us here this morning and help us every single one that, oh, Lord, we'll get a message from heaven this morning. And we just pray your continued grace throughout the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You've probably heard something of this effect before. That the apostolic days are over. I don't know if anyone's heard something like that before, but the apostolic days are over. Apostolic men and women, they're gone. We kind of have this idea when we look at the Apostle Paul, we look at Peter, we look at all the disciples. We have this thought that these men are different than us. That these people are on such a high mountain that it's just like that belonged for, you know, that special time right there. That's all nonsense, though. These people are made of the same dust that we're made out of. They had the same breath of life breathed into them that you and I have. And they had the same Christ, the living Christ, that you and I have right now. They have like passions like you and I have right now. They're not quite as different as we are. We have such a near kinship to those people in the early church. Sometimes people have the focus that the world is darker. It's not any darker than it's ever been. If you look in history, there are some awful dark times and it seems like history continues to repeat itself over and over and over. And I'm not just saying, well, the world is 
darker, darker. We know in the Bible it talks about as things get near the end, it's going to be tremendous in darkness and difficulties in some respect. We understand that with the scripture saying. But this kind of a thought that the world is so dark, what can the church do? The world is so dark, what can I do? The world is so dark, what can Christ do? This is what starts to happen. I just want to submit to you that we think of Christianity in such a man-centered way. We think of Christianity in such a man-centered way. But if like this morning, you and I can forget about that and look up to Christ, what can he do? What is he doing right now as we've looked up? He's settled down in this place. He's ministering to every single one of our hearts. I have no idea all what together God is speaking to every one of us as individuals, but I am certain that not one of us is left out. I'm certain that the Holy Ghost has made something clear to you even in these short moments. And I have no idea what it is. It doesn't matter because God the Holy Ghost knows what every single one of us needs right now. And so if in this short little moment, we can look up to God on behalf of our sister. We can look up to God on behalf of our brother and our other brother over here and our sister's request and this whole church and one who's far away, who's discouraged, that feels like they're going to give up. If when that moment we can look up and the Lord settles down in here, it leads me to believe that God wants to do something about what we're concerned about. And I believe he has already this morning. We have not prayed in vain. We're not talking out into the air. There's a living Christ and you and I can sense that right now. There's a holy hush in this building because God is stepping down here to show you that Christianity does not live inside of this book. Christianity is a group of people that follow a living Christ. And the living Christ is here this morning because he wants you to know that he's alive and that he's well and that this is not a dead religion. We're not interested in it. We want a living religion. We want something that's alive. And we can have it because Christ is alive. Amen. So let's think about the world that's around us. If you look in the first verse of that chapter four, the need for the gospel comes out of that first verse. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, ministry implying that God had enabled certain ones because there's a need out there that they're going to fulfill. There is a need for the gospel, and you and I know that. We talk about it all the time. We've prayed about it. We've had opportunities to speak together with others, with unbelievers. You, we know that the world needs the gospel around us. We know, and we should keep knowing, that you and I need this gospel. We didn't enter in and now we're all great and fine and now we need to get everyone else. You and I need the gospel all the time. It's the continual good news and the flood of the light and glory of God into our souls each and every day so that we maintain a close walk with God, that we know he's alive and we keep on going forward and don't give up, right? God help us. I understand there's times where we feel like I can't do it. I can't take another step. I'm bowed down. I feel like there's a weight on me. I'm being choked. I can't breathe. All those things happen. And we're going to see that as we look through this. But there is that need around us for the gospel. If you look in the third verse, 
we see that there are lost people. Have you ever been lost before? My wife told me this was before, I think I may have been saved at this point and she wasn't. She had hung around with a bunch of people and they went for a walk in the woods at this particular hour and they got lost in there, it got dark and they couldn't find their way out. And it was almost until the dawn, nine hours lost in pitch black in the woods, falling down hills and through thorn bushes because they didn't even know they were at the side of like a little cliff area and falling down and scratching and beating themselves up. She called me and she said, I'm terrified. This is after it all happened. I was so lost. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to fall off somewhere and plummet to my death. I was lost. She said, I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. Do you know that kind of a lostness is in the souls of people all over? They can hardly see a foot in front of their face. They're so lost. You and I know that. But listen to what the third verse says. You're thinking there's a gospel for these people that are lost. Listen to the third verse. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Why? Isn't this what they need? Why is it hidden? That can be a question for us. Well, if you look in the fourth verse, it tells us, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So they're lost because they're unbelieving. And they're blinded in their minds. They can hardly even grasp the concept of what you and I are talking about. That's how lost the world is around us. When we also look in this fourth verse, they have a fear, the world around us. This is a purposeful choice, by the way. It's not that just they can't help it. There's a sense in which they can't help it in that they're so depraved, they're just going to lean and go where they're leaning. But there's also this that you and I have to recognize. They are lost and blind solely and largely because of their own choice. They fear the change because they'll lose their precious sin. If you look in verse four again, it says, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That's the problem with anyone who's not saved. The light is uncomfortable. The light means responsibility. And when God starts talking to our hearts about where we are, and if we're lost, we step back because we like our precious sin. And if you're in that situation, sometimes you would step back from the light because you like your precious sin. That's where we harden ourselves. The gospel's not any less powerful. The gospel has tremendous power. But because we're afraid of the implications of what might happen if I step in this light, we've got a lost and a blind world around us because they've just stepped back. And so the God of this world loves that and has a grip and keeps people busied and distracted from what the Holy Ghost is talking inside of their hearts by way of conviction. So that's the world around us. Then you're thinking, that seems like a heavy weight pastor. That seems pretty crazy. You're telling us like this and we want the world to be saved. So that really just falls on our shoulders, doesn't it? Well, if you look inside of this chapter, you'll see where an earthen vessel is spoken about. First, the manifestation of victory is what is going to dispel the darkness around us. If you look in the second verse of this chapter, we're told He's speaking to the Corinthians. 
You have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That bothers people. They want to see a real Christian. They want to see somebody who hates and loathes sin. They want to see a Christian that's like a cat, that if they get something on them, it's, they don't want to keep it there. They want to keep themselves clean. And when they see that in a dirty world, that lost, and blind, that lost state and that blindedness all of a sudden gets confronted. That they see their conscience is bearing themselves witness that gospel's real. The power of that gospel's real. Righteousness and purity is real. This isn't a concept. This isn't just a religion. There is something going on. So the manifestation of victory happens through earthen vessels like you and myself. But also, because we're in these earthen vessels, remember what I said before? How there's all this around us and troubles and everything squeezes? Listen to the eighth and the ninth verse of this chapter. We are troubled, Paul says, on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I thank God he's honest with us. Paul had rough times. He's in an earthen vessel, but look at how he compared two different things a few times. He said, we're troubled, but not distressed. What is he talking about? If you look at the Greek for trouble, it literally means we are pressed like grapes. We're being squeezed like grapes. What happens when you squeeze grapes? Juice comes out, right? We're being squeezed and pressed like grapes, but not distressed. And distressed means we're not cramped or hemmed in or stuck, though. Even though we're being squeezed like grapes, we're not stuck. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Perplexed means there's no, it's like there is no way. I don't know which way to turn. What do I do? We've been talking about this this morning. What do I do next? But despair is when you renounce all hope and give up. So he said, the Christian can oftentimes feel like, I don't even know how to handle this. What am I supposed to do? But we don't give up. Persecuted, but not forsaken, he said. So you and I, because we are walking with Christ, are going to be harassed. We're going to be troubled by people. We're going to be troubled by the devil himself. You're going to be troubled by your closest family and friends. We're going to be harassed, troubled molested by the devil himself, messing with your mind, trying to, to warp reality. So you start questioning yourself and, and it's so confusing, you can't even figure out which way is up or down. He said, we're persecuted, yes, but not forsaken of God. Though that pressure thunders down and sometimes feels unrelenting, God has not forsaken us, just like he didn't forsake his son on the cross. Even though Jesus felt like that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Was he forsaken? No. He went down into the depths of hell 
And he committed his soul unto God and God took him right out of that place and in his train followed the dead saints of all the ages behind him and he opened the way of heaven for every single soul that believes in him hereafter to follow in his train, leading captivity captive. Thank God, persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. Casting down is thrown down, depressed, Yo, if you're a Christian, you can't be depressed. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true. Read through the pages of history with men of God and women of God. They have had depression. But listen to what Paul said. That can happen, but not destroyed. Not rendered useless. Not having an end put to. Not completely ruined, though you're pressed. Though you're, though you're depressed. So that helps us to realize, here's all this need and lostness around us. Here's this earthen vessel. Man, it seems kind of crazy. Sometimes the pressure is a little much. But listen to what he says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I'm going to get to this a little later because what the treasure is is extremely important. But I want to speak about the earthen vessels right at the moment. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. In other words, this is God's plan. There's nothing wrong with this plan. This is how it's supposed to be. Oftentimes we look at all that and we think, it shouldn't be like this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But I just want to tell you, the scriptures bear out that this is how it's supposed to be. It is like this. There's nothing unique about this. Think it not strange when you're going through fiery trials, Peter tells us. This is normal. This happens. We're in a warfare, as our sister said. War is not cotton candy and teddy bears, right? It's serious stuff. This earth, earthen vessel tells us about our personalities. We're different people, right? We act different ways. We feel things different ways. We interact different ways. We have a unique personality. That wasn't any bar to God. There's no problem with that. Even if you're quirky, we all have idiosyncrasies. We probably drive each other nuts, right? Husbands and wives know more about that probably than any other relation in the world. There are things that are quirky and there's idiosyncrasies, but it's God's plan. There's nothing wrong with it. We have faulty thinking sometimes. We have, we have ignorance, gross ignorance. Not any one of us is left out of that. You and I oftentimes don't know enough, but that's not to be discouraged. That's just reality. So because of that, you and I will have faulty thinking. You and I essentially are infirm. We have weaknesses, right? We have mental weaknesses, nothing wrong with it. We probably wish at times that it wasn't that way, but if it is that way, it's nothing against God, it's nothing against this plan of redemption. He knows all about it, it's right here in the book. We have physical limitations and struggles and trials. God knows all about that. He's taken all that into account. We have emotional struggles and trials. Sometimes we feel like emotionally, though everything else may seem okay, it's incredibly difficult to go through all this stuff, to handle this. I don't even have the, the skill equipped to handle it. What do I do with this? God knew all about that. He said it's going to be in an earthen vessel, and that's you and me. We all have different capacities. Who was ever here able to do all that their heart desired? Impossible. 
Our hearts can soar like eagles up to the highest height, and yet we feel like we're in a cage and our big old wings can't spread out. Why? Because it's an earthen vessel, and God knows that, and there's no problems with it. In fact, it's what he's chosen. These things above that I'm talking about, the faulty thinking, those infirmities, our personalities, those things cloud the real power and the point of what Paul is trying to help us. If we've got just an over-focus about this, it's quite discouraging. It doesn't mean that we ignore that it's there. We know it's there, but we say this is part of God's plan. Now we have to look elsewhere, and that elsewhere is the treasure that's in this earthen vessel. What is that treasure? We're going to get there. Always, this is the Christian life, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That doesn't sound too wonderful, does it? Hold on a minute. Bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus go through when he was here on earth? Was it a bed of roses? It, it was agony at times. It was sorrow. It was hurt. It was what seemed like defeat at times. He went through that and he's saying, this is my purpose. There's nothing wrong with this. If you're going through this, you're walking with the son of God. And he's got a plan and a purpose. Look at the plan and purpose that came out of the life of Christ. He went all the way to the cross and the world looks on and it looks like an epic failure. But now over 2000 or just under 2000 years from the death of Christ, how many souls have been radically transformed because of what he did back there that at that present moment looked like an epic failure. It's astounding. Brother Matt and I were talking about that people in history even. They do this one little thing and it affects everything. John Milton, he said, was born in one place and died three blocks away. Never left the area he was in. And look at this. It looks like an eternal work. Paradise lost that's been put out. Paradise regained. Think of Bach and some of these classical artists. They weren't really that big of a deal back in their day. But now they're the standard of all things. Come right on in. All right. So when we look at these things, we realize it may look a certain way. But you and I are bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. It's okay to go through things and sometimes it feels like, I don't know, no, no power, no nothing. What's going on? Forget that. Look to Christ. Servant is not greater than his master, the Bible tells us. And what we're talking about in this life has already happened to him. So you'll find a strange comfort when you're going through that because you'll look to your side and find that Jesus himself is yoked right alongside you. Then the load seems a lot lighter than it did just a moment before. So we have the world around us. We have the earth and vessel, but we have the Christ within us. That's the treasure. Christ. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This world needs Christ's light. And God is only able to shine light into darkness. We can't, but he can. He pours the light of his son's presence in us to reach the world. He pours his light inside of cracked earthen pots. And from those cracks shines the light out. I don't understand that. 
But more of Christ is seen, the more busted and broken that we are as people. Think about it. The more holes there is in something, the more of whatever's in there is coming out. Liquid. You think about those candle clay things that go over top and they put all, they, they carve out little scenery pictures or whatever. The light comes out through the cracks. That's God's plan. The living Christ inside of this cracked earthen pot. That's, that's immensely encouraging to me. You mean me? Broken, busted, ruined, Lord, I don't even know what I could do for the kingdom of God. He says, forget it. You're the earthen vessel. All you've got to do is just place yourself in my hands and I'll flood you with light. And when I flood you with light, my light is going to flood out and people are going to see Christ coming through the cracks. He said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord and ourselves, your servants. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. You and I aren't preaching ourselves. You and I aren't preaching how wonderful of a Christian we are. You and I are preaching about him. You and I are looking up to him. You and I are showing him. And when they, when we see Christ, people see Christ. This is not an individual's work. That's what I loved about that lady, Gianna Jessen. She may be uncouth. She may be a little in your face in some respect, and I doubt that she would ever preach in a holiness camp. I wish she would. Amen. That lady oozed of the spirit of Christ. There's rough edges there, but it's undeniable. What that lady went through and is still going through has allowed the living Christ to touch thousands upon thousands of people but just because she's that cracked pot. She preaches Christ. She said, I don't want a cocktail party, Jesus, that comes by and pats on the back. I want the living Christ. Amen. That's the Christ I want people to find. The same one I found that changed my life and gave me a purpose when my mother tried to kill me in my, in my mother's womb. She said later she met her mother after an event that she was speaking. And she says, hello, how are you? She says, I'm your mother. She said, I want to let you know I'm a Christian and I forgive you. She said, I don't need your forgiveness. She said, I just want to let you know I'm a Christian and I forgive you. She said, I don't need your forgiveness. You shouldn't even be here. She said, she stepped back. She said, I just want to let you know that I love you, but I will no longer allow you to speak to me like that. And she said, when you mess with me, you're messing with my dad. Jesus loves me so intensely. He will protect me and he has. This is not an individual's work. It's Christ's work. God's ordained this from the beginning. It's a God empowered work. We're not servants for the sake of discipline and to make ourselves look like Christians. Indeed, we are servants for the literal sake of Christ. We are servants of him on his celestial seat. We are servants of him as we're indwelt by the living Christ, God in the flesh. This is not a religion. It's reality. Amen. I wish that somehow we could just get a hold of Christ again. Amen. Grip on a Christ. Be so done with everything else that all in all is Christ. And if all in all is Christ, people are going to know about it. 
They'll definitely know. We have this treasure in earth and vessels. Why? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God is pleased to put himself in this cracked pot. And because of that, people look at us and we're nothing special. But what is what's coming out of this person? What kind of power is this that they have? They're nobody. The apostles were dumb fishermen and thousands of people were converted. And we read their writings today and they still prick the heart. The power of God still comes through. But they were dumb fishermen. They were not learned men. So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You and I have nothing to boast. That's why it's so essential when somebody's seeking a pure heart to die to self because we drop over the altar and we say, all my perceived good is nothing but filthy rags, Lord. I've got nothing to offer the kingdom of God except my cracked pot. And when I offer that, the power and the excellency of the power of God is immediately flowing through me out to souls. Thank God. The only explanation is God must be in this. He's in that person. He's in this place. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And that's the point. We're delivered to death in this sense. Yours and my lives, our lives are going to be maligned. Our lives will be abused. Our lives will be misused. Our lives will be despised. Our lives may even be threatened. But this is how God chooses to manifest himself to the world. That we as Christians have such a inner person and power and presence that when going through that, that which looks like death working in us is working life in people outside. That's not always the easiest thing to go through. And God knows right where each one of us is at. He's not going to lay on you anything more than you can bear. But what you do have to bear is grace is sufficient. He's going to help. So knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you, the church at Corinth, or us with those that we have spread the gospel to. That's what he's saying. Know this, church. Though you feel like you're battered and broken and the outward man is perishing and you're going forward, he's saying the power of Christ will raise us up in the last day. You're going to take this old broken crack pot. He's going to make it new so that it can be in the glories of heaven forever and ever and ever and be able to bear it. Thank God. Then that leads us to the unseen eternity before us. For he said, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The suffering of God's people is the salvation of the world. The suffering of God's people is the establishing of believers. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice he said, this is happening while we're looking to eternity. That exceeding weight is yours while 
we're looking to eternity. God help us, and I know he wants to, and I know he will. So in conclusion, there's a lost around us. It's overwhelming. The church is outnumbered. I'm only one person. I've got such limitations. Do not despair, because this is God's plan. This is not at odds with a heart and life of holiness at all. It's part of the picture. There is nothing wrong with you. God had calculated yours and mine, humanity, in his grand plan of redemption. The indwelling Christ is to light the world with the gospel. That's why it is imperative to get baptized in the Holy Ghost, to have our hearts cleansed from inbred sin, to enter the rest of God that remains for the people of God so that my earthen vessel will be filled with the glorious treasure and his light can shine out of the cracks. The earthen vessel is not a bar to his wonderful indwelling. So get the indwelling Holy Ghost. Lean on him, expect him, depend on him, fellowship with him. Christ is all and in all. We're told God was well pleased with his son. So let's think of Christ the same way God the Father thinks of his son. Let's be well pleased with him. I mentioned this in the introduction, that we think of Christianity in such a man-centered way. Do you see where I've gone through this whole time? We think of Christianity in such a man-centered way. But I just want to let you know, church, Christ is the center of God's whole working. He was the living word that spoke all things into existence. Of him, to him, or of him, through him, and to him are all things. Christ is the center of God's whole working. Whatever Christian form method, activity, or person doesn't lead to the living person of Christ is a waste of time. And I'm just telling you this out of my own heart. I don't want a man-centered religion. I want a Christ-centered, Christ-enamored heart. I'm tired of whitewashing the tombs of our fathers. I'm tired of planting a bunch of flowers around their gravestones. I'm tired of worshiping the glory days. Give me Christ. Give me the Christ of our fathers. Give me the Christ of the glory days. Give me the Christ of the living God. Give me the Son of Man who willingly allowed his wrist to be nailed through on the cross and his feet nailed through and endure such agony for people who may all, all the while of their life spurn God and die and go to hell and he loved them enough and did it anyways. Give me that, Christ. That's the one I want. Give me the one whose eyes are a flame of fire. Spotless purity. Such holy love and magnetism. Give me that Christ. Give me the resurrected Son of God. Give me the life-giving Christ. He died, yes, but he lives forevermore. Give me Christ. Give me Christ now. Give me Christ tomorrow. Give me Christ forever and ever. I never want to be without this Christ. Take heart. The only way this earthen vessel makes any sense in this walk with God is to have Christ. 
and have him in all of his fullness, then this earthen vessel is worth pure gold and infinitely more. We are priceless in the sight of God, even though we're cracked and broken and battered. We are his priceless treasure and he gives us himself, which is our priceless treasure. So as we walk, your earthen vessel, your cracks, your frailties are your pleading ground at the throne. It's your greatest asset because the excellency of the power is going to be in you and it's not going to be of men, but it's going to be of God and the world's going to hunger because of it. May God help us to make Christ everything. Just love him. Just pour out your love at his feet. Cry your tears and wipe it with your hair, so to speak. Bow down at his feet and adore this one who has suffered such tremendous pain so that he could bring us up in his train into glory and he could catch a world that's lost with him. Let's adore this Jesus Christ. Let nothing, nothing, nothing get in the way of him. Nothing. It's not worth it. But he's worth everything. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we're so thankful that you're here right now and you've been here throughout this entire time that we've gathered. We're so thankful. The devil wants to point out the earth and vessel all the time. We're not ignorant of it either. But oh God, I so thank you and praise you that your word says inside that vessel is the priceless treasure of God's own son. And that Lord, your purpose is that the light of, the, of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ shining out through us. Give us a renewed hope. Give us a renewed faith. Give us a renewed vision. And oh God, shine through us, Lord. We don't know how. All we know is to surrender. But the shining of the light of God will pour through, oh Lord. And that's what we want. Make this church a light in Rome. Make people hungry for Jesus because of it. Not hungry necessarily for us. Not hungry for the God's missionary church. Not hungry for holiness even. But hungry for Christ. That when they come here, they'll meet him. And Lord, we just need your help. Because we don't want to do anything that gets in the way of that. And we believe that you have spoken to us this morning. Help us to go and walk in this, the wonderful blessing that, oh God, you fill us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would just offer it if...